listening to The Future of Work by Singapore Institute of Management. I'm Graham Brown, your host, and in this show we feature the leaders from across the region to discuss the forces, opportunities and challenges that are shaping the future of work. This episode is part of the Dash Plus series that examines the four critical influences of Dash Plus framework, design thinking, agile and transformational thinking, systems thinking, and hyper-performance strategies, all to help you and your organization emerge stronger. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dash Plus. This is a series of live shows, live podcasts, showing you, corporate leaders and executives, the way out of the crisis. This isn't about surviving. This is about thriving. And welcome, everybody, as you join the webinar room today to episode one. My name is Graham Brown. Thank you for joining us here today. I know you are all busy people, but you chose to be here with us right now. And we appreciate that. So let's make this a profitable use of your time. So stay tuned for the next hour and you will learn how to thrive in times of crisis because we're in a crisis right now. And if you enjoy this live podcast today, please join us for the six episode Dash Plus series. So what is this series about? But it's six episodes where you will learn how to apply the strategies and frameworks of design thinking, agile and transformational thinking, systems thinking, and hyper-performance strategies. It's a journey, and it's a journey we're going to undertake together, walking you through the case studies, the insights, and the lessons learned. And it's a journey where you get to ask questions too. And that is why we have this live webinar format with our panelists, our special experts here today that you get to ask them questions. And we will do this throughout the hour today. So hopefully you've got some interesting questions, some observations, some feedback as well that you can share with us. So to understand how to do that, if you haven't used Zoom before, I'm sure all of you will be very familiar with Zoom over the last couple of months. That's all we've seemed to be doing the last couple of months. There is a chat function on Zoom, which is located at the bottom of the screen. So this is what we're gonna do. Before we get started today, what I would like you to do is in the chat function, you can ask a question, just say hi. So if you click chat just say hello we'd love to hear from you i'm just going to put in a hello myself in here so we have a lot of participants well over 200 have joined already today which is fantastic everybody here saying hi different languages as well we've got a few non-english speakers here great i sort of bonjour pop up there so I wonder if they're dialing in from France right now. Fantastic. This is amazing. We've got a lot of people who have joined in. Obviously, this is very important to everybody thriving in times of crisis. We all feel the crisis. So before I introduce today's guests, let's talk about um, what the challenges are. I want to uh, really share with you what we're going to talk about and then really help us understand what we're going to do today and what our key challenges are. In the middle of a crisis, obviously COVID-19 is top of the billing when it comes to crisis, but there are many other transformations, disruptions that we are experiencing right now. 
So the way that today's webinar is going to be different to a normal Zoom webinar is three ways. Firstly, you know, rather than do all the question and answers at the end, we would like to take questions as we go along. So there is a Q&A function in here. You can ask questions in there. And what we'll do is we will take the best questions and I will do my best to field those questions to our guests today. Now, all of these shows are recorded and available to you as a podcast to listen to on Spotify and iTunes afterwards. You know, I know some of our listeners and some of the learners here at Singapore Institute of Management like to review content afterwards. So you'll have the opportunity to do that if you miss anything. If you're frantically taking notes as well, then you have an opportunity to go back and review some of the content shared by Kevin and Harish today. And this is a six-part series, which basically means that Join us for part two, because we will build on the frameworks that we are going to share with you today. So welcome to part one. Today is all about thriving in times of crisis. Yes, at times this crisis can be a little bit overwhelming, and at times we can be overwhelmed as corporate leaders and executives by technology and jargon. But if we take time to reframe and redefine the problems, often it's a lot easier to understand and to manage resources accordingly. So to help us do that, I'm joined by two of my esteemed colleagues who will be our guides for the next hour today with you. Introducing first, Dr. Kevin Yong, Chief Learning Officer for Singapore Institute of Management, and next to him, Harish Kubchandani, Vice President of Autodesk. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hi, hi, Graham. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Excellent. Um, great to have you here. And I feel that I'm going to learn quite a lot in the next hour as well. And you're very frank and honest with your opinions, which I think is important right now. I know we are talking about some quite complicated subjects as well, but we're going to try and steer away from too much jargon and explain it through stories, through anecdotes, through data, through insights, and help understand it as business leaders, as corporate leaders, how we can take this information and make it actionable as well. Kevin, I suppose this is your idea, you know, this series, this six-part series. So to help the audience understand your thinking behind it, maybe you can trace us back to the genesis of why are we doing this? Why did you think this conversation was relevant now? All right. You want an honest, authentic, tangible truth behind this? Because Jeff Tan and his team walked in the room one day and asked, Kevin, let's have a, let's have a webinar. I said, sounds good. Let's do it. That was easy. That was, that was pretty much. This is the age of authenticity, Kevin. So credit to you. But why um, are we? Okay, we're going to have a webinar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. many webinars. Why? Why this one? And why are we talking about thriving? And why are we talking about Dash Plus? What's no, so, so, so the honest truth is, uh, yeah, we we knew that everyone's going online. We us like everybody else, um, and we were thinking, wouldn't it be great to use the webinar as a platform to share some of our thinking, to share mm -hmm. some of the stuff that we've been working on. Uh, so some of you may know the Singapore Institute of Management has gone, undergone our own transformation. It's been a couple of months. Uh, and when we think about professional development and enterprise learning, uh, we started to think about what is it uh, comprehensively do we want our learning community to think about? So we came out with Dash Plus. I'll be frank with you by saying Dash Plus is not, there's nothing, practically nothing original that no one has ever heard of yet. 
Um, D stands for Design Thinking for Innovation, and why design thinking is about innovation starting up from the end user to the customer. Uh, A, Agile Thinking for Transformation, or more specifically digital transformation. We all live in COVID. You can see why that's so important. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that uh, shortly. Um, S stands for systems thinking for ecosystem collaboration. And again, uh, even before COVID, we thought that we, one of the big insights we had about success is about collaboration and not just collaboration between individuals, but between stakeholders, between companies within the ecosystem. And sure enough, we're going to talk a few, uh, COVID is a great example of how that, how companies thrive through ecosystem collaboration. And H, uh, I'll be very frank, uh, the first version of H was hypergrowth, became hyper, uh, high performance and it became hyper connectivity. So we're pretty agile with our framework too. Um, and last but not least, and I think that's the really, really important one, uh, version two of, uh, of our thinking was plus. It used to be dash, now it's dash plus. Plus is because of leadership. Uh, and why leadership? Uh, we realized that uh, something is very important. Leadership is evergreen. Leadership is always going to be important. So when you talk about good leadership being uh, making good decisions, uh, being transparent and courage and strategic vision, et cetera, et cetera, all very good. But what, one big realization is that these values or these skills take a different flavor uh, given the zeitgeist, given the generation, given the situations. Take, take the COVID, Black Swan. Um, having a vision in, in, a, in a COVID situation is very, very different from having a vision when you know, the economy is booming, everything is uh, all fine and dandy. So we thought it was great. Um, and frankly speaking, uh, the timing was good. <laughs> well, let me take that back. Not, not because I wanted COVID to happen or the, the lockdown to happen, but we got lucky and uh, we thought, why not share, take this, take this framework, talk about what's important, talk about how to uh, mm. deal with the situation. Just well, offer a viewpoint. That's it. Just offer a viewpoint. Absolutely. And that really, that's what leadership's about, isn't it? Being equipped to make these decisions as well. That's the package. Like you say, it's evergreen. Really, everybody here today, we're joined by hundreds of corporate leaders all over the world, you know, different levels, different stripes in organizations. And leadership's not necessarily a job title. It's the fact that people decide to take on these challenges and people may lead small teams, big teams. They may be the CEOs of organizations. So really today is packaged for leaders and equipping you with the strategies and the mindsets necessary. And some of those anecdotes as well that Kevin mentioned to take away and to think about after this session today. So let's get down to it, shall we? Let's talk about the problem. Let's talk about what pain, the frustrations, the challenges that corporate leaders are facing today. And I want to ask the audience, we're going to do a poll. So the great thing about webinars is you can actually run an interactive poll. So if I can ask my team to set this up, what I want everybody to do is this, is there is a poll that's going to pop up in a few seconds. And what it's going to do, it's going to ask you what your big challenge is. So what is the biggest challenging you are facing in your organization during COVID-19? Vote now, folks. You know how it happens. You only get one vote. Let's find out. This is going to be interesting. We're going to get a good spread of votes. What? I don't get to vote. You don't get to vote. <laughs> you get to analyze the votes. You, otherwise, oh. that might be seen as influencing the vote, Kevin. I was hoping to. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, as these come in, we'll uh, just have a quick look at these. Give them a few more seconds to run. We've had 170 votes already that's fantastic 
it's interesting what's coming out. Um, this is, let's let's uh, let these run, and I'm going to ask my my second guest here today, maybe to introduce himself as well. Harris Kubchandani, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. A bit of background. How did, what brings you here? What's the connection with Kevin and also this subject today? Um, hey, Graham, it's good to be here. Um, I've, I've known Kevin for a while now, uh, and um, Kevin and I uh, share very similar philosophies, I think, over time. Uh, with regards to transformation and kind of like the new world that is that we're all entering, uh, even pre-COVID days, and uh, you know, I, I've I've been uh, fortunate enough to attend some of his classes and 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 and, and listen in and, and at the same time participate in some of those classes as well. I think uh, for me, I spent uh, from personal background, I spent 19 years at Microsoft, and um, you know, kind of went through. A variety of different uh, milestones, you can say, both in terms across three uh, very prominent global CEOs, uh, and across different highs and lows uh, uh, that the company had to go through. Um, so that was it was massive learning for me. And after 19 years, I decided that I needed some change, and I decided to disrupt myself rather than stay in my comfy little comfort zone uh, where I was. And uh, and and I'm at Autodesk now, which is another phenomenal company that I. I get to work with and learn from and learn in, uh, especially in the industries they serve, which are uh, in an architect, architecture, engineering, construction spaces, not uh, very broad, more uh, vertical industries. Mm. So Kevin and I go back a long way, very passionate about this topic. So really, uh, really, really honored to be here and uh, participating and sharing some thoughts. Fantastic. And the Microsoft sync as well will be interesting. Satya Nadella is going to pop up, not on the webinar, but his name's going to come up, <laughs> and we're going to talk about some of the insights as well, as a transformation story as well. Phenomenal. Absolutely. Should we have a look at some of the results from the audience today on, on the poll? We've had well over 200 votes, which is amazing for a poll. And um, people are still voting. So some people are still finding the poll. And let's have a look at the numbers here i don't know if you gentlemen can see but just running the top results here regarding the biggest challenging corporate leaders are now facing in this current crisis the biggest challenges are in order but the, the top three are pretty much the same here number one creating actionable strategies for growth 23%. Number two, planning for the future, 22%. And number three, interestingly, employee engagement. Any immediate takeaways there? Kevin, what do you see looking at the numbers? Anything to jump in? I know it's early doors yet to start analyzing this stuff. We're going to dive in a bit as we go uh, into the scenes. What do you think? I'm just glad I got the model answer. Um, I would have picked creating actionable strategies for the growth. Uh, I myself face that on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's really interesting, right? Uh, that the two reasons why I think about the problem of uh, creating actionable strategies. One, uh, this is completely unexpected, right? We all got through off. Uh, our strategies have to change. We have to to respond, and we it's an uncertain future. So that's that's the classic one. Uh, the other reason that's come to my mind is that we're all stuck at home. Mm. And it feels almost like, yeah, you can think all you want, you can you can discuss all you want, you uh, plan all you want, but how are we going to do this? 
how are we going to do this from the comforts of our home? Or how are we going to get this going? Uh, I mean, something simple, like I have colleagues who I, I, I'm going to openly apologize to them, send me something. Oh, could you fill in this form and put your passport photograph and sign? We need this by Wednesday. And we're like, uh, sure, we can fill it, but we, how are we going to scan this to you? Okay, can we can scan it. But how are we going to get a passport photograph and put it on the form and blah, blah. And, and just something what, Things that we used to take so much for granted, mm. we can't even act on it. So, if you ask me to act on a on a strategy, well, that that's uh, that's a uh, that just keeps me thinking every day. Well, a lot of what we're going to talk about today, as well, that many of the strategies which we've become familiar with and been trained in worked in peacetime, if you like, and yet now it's a very different environment. So, we need a different mindset as well. So, we'll talk about aspects such as agile really what is agile in reality you know agile transformation as well just going back to these results as well do you find i'm just I hand this over to harris do you find the least biggest challenge if such a thing exists was communicating with customers that seems to be least of people's problems there does that resonate with you because i imagine this is a big part of your business as well in software so what do you think? Do people, you know, I thought maybe in the fact that a lot of people were now working from home and disrupted, they didn't have access to customers. Or do you think that's not necessarily the magnitude of problem that the others are? I think it depends on, on the industries you're in and the customers you serve, right? Uh, you know, sometimes when customers work from home, do you have uh, uh, enough data on the customer and how to reach the customer when he's working from home? Uh, you know, and in some instances, their 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 customers or their their partners or businesses trying to survive. You know, so the last thing they want to do is really think about how they engage with mm. customers. I don't know. So it's very. It depends on the context you're in. You know, uh, and it also depends on the life cycle your customers are in. Because some customers enter the lockdown, trying to figure out, oh my god, what do I do? You know, some customers straight away say, hey, I've got 50 projects running. I got to get on the cloud. I'm gonna call company XYZ, port my projects on the cloud, and keep business going mm. so you know I, i'm not surprised but i think it really depends on industry to industry but you said something interesting graham just now when you you said um we didn't have a crisis before uh and we had a, we're having a crisis now why why do we assume we didn't have a crisis before yeah i think we did have a crisis before i just think that the crisis wasn't a pandemic it wasn't a virus it wasn't life-threatening you know but there i think all the signs of transformation change the world is changing consumer behavior is changing engagement is changing uh, multi generation multi generational workforces was a reality yeah. all of this were very vivid trends right in front of us but we didn't choose to necessarily embrace it in full force because i think many were comfortable in the comfort zone or very comfortable not fixing what wasn't necessarily broken until it gets broken. So I, I don't know. I mean, if, if I'm going to be a little contrarian at this point in time, I probably challenge say, I think we had a crisis. Maybe it was not as big as a pandemic. Well, let's kick that off. Let's do that because that's the first issue that we're going to address. Well teed up there, Harish. Let's talk about this idea of the new normal because this is really the zeitgeist, isn't it, of media, business planning, and really, Harris, what you said, that maybe we had small crises, maybe there were just magnitudes. I mean, crisis really is change, isn't it? And it's a sliding scale. Obviously, change becomes 
to a magnitude where we feel we can't cope and then maybe people call it a crisis. But there are many, many different changes happening and they were happening in waves. So let's talk about this idea of the new normal. And Kevin, you've got some interesting ideas about that can help us understand and reframe it because may, maybe probably the most important thing people can take away is what we're going to talk about next. You know, if they're going to come to this webinar, it's this idea of the new normal. Is it something that we should be talking about? Is it a distraction? When people say to you, Kevin, the new normal, discuss, how do you help bring them back on track? Because they may go down that rabbit hole of fear that seems to get perpetuated in you know social media and the, and the media generally. What do you All right, my, my answer, go watch Westworld season three. Uh, <laughs> okay, I can see all of you starting to Google. So that's a great thing, right? Uh, all 262 of you, please, please go to Google. Let me explain to you why. Um, the more I hear this term new normal, it got me thinking, uh, what does this mean? Uh, uh, we have to think about, we're preparing for the new normal. And it just so happens that on my WhatsApp, one of these days I received a, a message, uh, some, one of my friends shared a, a teaser to the Westworld uh, season three. For, for those of you who are not familiar with the TV series Westworld, it's, a, it's really a TV series about the future, about uh, robots and humans coexisting uh, in, in, in uh, today's world. And season three was supposed to be about uh, 40 years into, uh, into 2020, so 2060. And, and the producers in, in this teaser were talking about how uh, we're trying to look around the world to find a, a country or a place that could represent Los Angeles in 2060. And enough, or now when they, they explained it, uh, Singapore was, was, the, was the chosen place. And, and, and why did they choose Singapore? Because they said Singapore was, was, uh, was very futuristic. Uh, and one of the producers quoted a sci-fi sci uh, writer named uh, William Gibson. Uh, well, legend has it that William Gibson said this, but we, we can't verify it. But William Gibson apparently said, the future is now. Uh, it's just unevenly distributed. And I can tell you that uh, it resonates with some of my experience uh, a couple, about maybe just as recently as two years ago uh, when I did executive education. There was a group of executives from uh, outside of Singapore. Uh, and why, were they, why, were I, why was I teaching them? They came to study water. They, went, they came to study water. They came to Singapore because they, they heard about Singapore and, and their executive program was focused on water. They brought, brought this group of executives to Singapore. And when I asked the program director, uh, what did you think about uh, Singapore's water system? And he just looked at me and said, this is the moon. Right, this is the moon. Uh, the, the, the participants came to Singapore and said, this is the moon. This is not even possible. Uh, the, the one question everyone in the, the, the program asks is, where are the pipes? Right, so so when when I think about this, the, the question of new normal, uh, even with, even with respects to this particular seminar, we keep talking about the future of work, the future of work, the future of work. I, I had the thought, why don't we just talk about future work? Uh, and it's today. Right. And the future is here. Do you think uh, we've got different? Like, I mean, we tend to paint it in the media as the future is a binary thing in business, isn't it? It's like now and then the future. But what you're suggesting, I'm, I'm trying to work out and, and phrase this for everyone to understand, is that there's many sort of levels of the future. It's, it's waves, isn't it? It's like Harris said with these shocks, it's happening all the time. There's not like one big black or white shock changing business. There's many, many levels here. 
Yeah, so there's one thing we're going to realize about this is there's a great diversity of what it means to be now. Uh, it's going to be the reality of the so-called normal. It's a great diversity. If, if anything, it's not that the normal is going to change. Uh, but what COVID has done for us or the lockdown has done for us is to help us recognize that globally, normal means different things everywhere. Hmm. And as we go global, as we as organize, okay, I mean, we talk about uh, innovating from the user's standpoint, from the from the perp- from the from the perspective of the user or the customer. That customer is going to come from, with a very diverse experience from the from the innovator. And and as companies, we need to remember that we and we need to think about how we're going to create value. Uh, one challenge that uh, we always talk about, something I learned uh, many years ago, is this notion of universal design. And what's universal design? Universal design is, is designing a solution that caters for a diversity of backgrounds, a diversity of capabilities. Uh, one of my favorite examples of universal, uh, universal design is go to any large parking lot at a large mall, like say Suntex. Yeah, I'm sure anyone who's driven here uh, has driven to that car park. After you park, go to your favorite restaurant, go shopping, come out. How do you find your car? How do you remember where, where your car is parked? Now, some of you will say, oh, I just remember the animal uh, that was printed on the pillar next to it. Some will say, mm. animal? No, there was no animal. There was a color. It's, it's yellow. And some will say, no, there was what color and animal you took. There's a number. So, so that's, that's a really good example of universal design. Uh, it's a, uh, you, know, you, you cater for different capabilities or different preferences all in one design. And, and it's almost like a you know, uh, one size fits all. But it's mm. not really one size fits all in the sense that it's one size. But that, that one size caters for a lot of differences. So I think, I think that's the new normal. I think mm. the new normal is a realization that everything is quite different for everybody. And, and It's a mindset, isn't it? Shift. It's yeah. a shift in the mindset. And we're, we're going to look at the skill set for that and how people lead with that. The examples that leaders give us of that mindset. I, I want to bring this around. Before we talk, talk about adapting to the new normal what kind of skills and i see some questions coming in as well from the audience i'm mindful of those i'm reading your questions and i'm going to field them when we get the opportunity harris turning this around to you you know we talked about comfort zones we've talked about this new sort of understanding and empathy skill almost that uh you know dr kevin's talking about with understanding building around the user um you worked at microsoft for many years um, one of the most successful companies of all time. But its recent journey has been quite phenomenal. Satya Nadella and what he's done for Microsoft has been really, I think, the case study that people will write about in years to come, right? But he, he said himself that you know there were two years of transformation in the last two months and we have to change the way we operate, they operate, everyone operates, right? What is happening in the conversations you're having at leadership level in terms of mindset shifts? What are people doing? Like regarding what Kevin said, you know, how are people talking about thinking about the problem differently now? I think the the the, pan, the, the pandemic has been a rude awakening. Uh, I feel I have friends who've lost jobs. I know people, and I feel for them, and genuinely feel for them. And it's not easy for businesses, for, uh, you know, uh, home businesses and so on and so forth. So it is, it is, you know, it is a tough scenario. But digital transformation, because of the pandemic now, has become an existent, existential imperative. Uh, and there are many examples that demonstrate that. But it took a pandemic for everyone to realize that. What was worrying for me, listening to Kevin, 
which I agree with what he said. But the worry part for me is everyone's talking about the future, mm. but are we ensuring that we're learning from the past so that we don't repeat the past in the future, right? And one of my mentors just a couple of days ago shared this quote with me. It says, life can be understood backwards, but must, but must be lived forwards. You know, it's a Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard. You know, um, very, very nicely said. So if organizations don't start building a learning culture, confronting their brutal realities, it's going to be very hard to actually build strategies for the future because you're going to inevitably repeat the same mistakes. So it's going to be super important to have that learning culture and to actually say, hey, what do we need to do differently? What did we do in the past that you know, didn't set us up well for what's happening right now? The ground under us is constantly shifting. And that's a, that's a realization we all must come uh, uh, to terms with, not just for businesses, but for individuals as well. So I think more and more with the pandemic, we see organizations trying to figure out what business continuity looks like. How do they connect with customers? How do they continue to engage with even employees? You know, what should you know, leadership look like uh, in a pandemic? Mm. And I think you can see different examples across the globe of CEOs responding in different ways, you know? Um, and so I think the, these are some of the things that organizations now need to grapple with as they go forward. But I think it needs to start with making sure that we don't repeat the past. And, and that's something that, you know, I, I'm concerned of because, you know, it's important for us to learn and it's important for us to ensure that behaviors change as we go forward. Because in some in some some markets like China, which has now pretty much started to open up, uh, I I heard from a colleague who was flying from Shanghai to Beijing that the flights were full mm. this last week. You know, and the pandemic wasn't really in China not long ago. You know, so have people necessarily changed their behaviors or adapted, or are people going back to the old norms uh, and carrying on the same way they used to do things? I think that's going to be something that needs to get visited by every organization uh, and leadership as they as they kind of think about the future and build forward. The key word here is leadership, isn't it? Because it's their responsibility to make this happen. Historically, we know where we were only 12 years ago, the global financial crisis as an example. Did we learn from these past mistakes and really did we adapt and improve on what we had? And section two that we're now talking about, the need to adapt. Really, what is this? Because I'm noticing some of the, the points coming in now, some of the, the questions, um, a question here from Jeff. He's talking about black swan events. And black swan events, something that's coming up a lot in conversation now. We hear, for example, exogenous shocks. And The Economist, I think, were talking about that very recently. The future is unknowable. So how... Do you adapt? When we talk about the need to adapt, how do you adapt to an unknowable future? Kevin, where does this start in the organization? And really, what role does everybody take in that adaptation? Uh, one of the great things about the COVID situation is showed how adaptable people are naturally. Uh, you know, the, the big question we all talk about is digital transformation. It's so difficult. And the SMEs are saying, oh, there's no way I'm going to do this. Or someone say you can't tell, you can't teach old uh, old dog new tricks and blah blah. Look what happened. Uh, COVID happened. The black swan happened, and we just adapted. We we got online as fast as we could. 
uh, whether or not you like that. I personally never use Zoom to to COVID, only to say, where have this been all my life? I've been struggling with Skype, sorry, Skype users. Uh, but you know that uh, for the longest time, you use Skype. Didn't always work. And then this... Can, can we... Yeah, go ahead. Go, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interject, but l- let me just ask, but why did it take a pandemic for us to adapt? Why, why didn't we adapt before the pandemic knowing full well that there was a technology-led disruption taking place. The narrative before the pandemic was technology was changing the future, disrupting the future, uh, jobs were getting out, you know, people needed to reskill, upskill, you know, governments were giving funding for reskilling and so on and so forth. That was all there. And there were real-life scenarios, whether you talk about Kodak disappearing, Blackberry, real-life disruptions taking place. You know, but why, why didn't everyone and all of us and organizations and individuals, why didn't we adapt then? Do you, you guys are really making me do honest, transparent, authentic answers. The, the truth is I have no, I, I have no idea if I, if I, if I. That's what we want. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it, isn't it comfort zone? I mean, Harish, you mentioned it as well. Like, you know, comfort, success is often the biggest challenge facing organizations, isn't it? You get into a way of doing things and that's why you need leaders to come in and to almost shock businesses out of comfort and take them to the next level. I I make a joke about not knowing. Well, I don't know. If I knew the answer, I could retire tomorrow. Uh, But the truth is when I think about this question, uh, it's because necessity. Uh, first of all, it's, an, it's a necessity. We have to adapt, or we don't, or we don't continue. It's as simple as that. Uh, you know, when uh, you've heard of necessity is the mother of invention, so these 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 quotes have meaning. Uh, I think a second reason is because it's personally important. It affects me, uh, and it affects me directly. So therefore, I will adapt. Third, I think what the the, the pandemic situation has shown is that this adaptation. Uh, has to happen because of the ecosystem, the system, the interdependence that we're all connected, the entire structure. Um, and I see some of these questions here, and maybe I'm going to answer to it. Uh, my, my, my next point is me answer some of these questions. How do you respond to these changes? Uh, it's, it's much like a question of how do I survive disruption? Uh, we hear a lot of this term disruption, right? There's going to be technological disruption. There's going to be blah, blah, disruption. I'd like to share a story about what you can do. You have to understand what your core competence is. You have to understand what your core value is as a company. What value do you deliver? Uh, and you also have to understand how your company is organized to deliver that, that value. Let me, let me explain. So out of curiosity, just ask everyone, think for it. How many of you use an iPhone? Or better still, how many of you remember using a BlackBerry before your iPhone? And how many are BlackBerry fans, right? <laughs> Uh, and unbeknownst to, I don't know whether everybody knows this, but when at one time, BlackBerry was really the rage. It was the most important device for anybody. The iPhone came out. And interestingly, when iPhone first came out, uh, nobody wanted the iPhone. If you're a BlackBerry user, you wouldn't use iPhone. Why? Because the iPhone uh, had poor quality in terms of, especially in, in terms of the battery life. Um, and it didn't have buttons. But over time, the iPhone, the, the touch screen, it got better, the quality became better, and it became a better device. It was more user-friendly than buttons and whatnot. And, and frankly speaking, just a lot of people started to use iPhone. And BlackBerry couldn't, couldn't respond, right? And why, why couldn't BlackBerry respond? It turns out the reason why, the real reason why BlackBerry couldn't respond to the iPhone 
is because of the way BlackBerry was organized around making the BlackBerry. That means the way the organization is organized around the product, the way you assemble your, 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 your supply chain, uh, your, your R&D, everything. The one company that could respond to iPhone was Samsung. Why? Because Samsung didn't have the same baggage as, uh, as uh, BlackBerry. They could, build a new, uh, how, they could build a new architecture around building a phone that could compete with the iPhone. And that's exactly what happened. So what am I saying here? Two things. If you want to, if you want to adapt to 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 the situation, always try to remember what your core competence is. Let, let me share you another story about core competence. I'm thinking about it. Uh, in recent times, I was, I was talking to a couple of SMEs and thinking about how the SMEs uh, respond to uh, technological uh, disruptions. Uh, I remember talking to a box manufacturing company in the 80s, 90s, really, really successful. Uh, they built boxes for for manufacturing. And Singapore had a lot of manufacturing uh, capabilities. Companies, so they just it was doing really well. About 10, 15 years ago, these, com- these manufacturing companies left Singapore, went to, to cheaper, cheaper locations. This box company said, all right, uh, I spoke to them. So how do you survive? I said, well, cut costs. Say, then I said, how do you think about this? Really, really difficult. Cut costs, cut costs, cut costs. You know, I say, why? I say, well, we, we can't follow our, our, our clients overseas. And I said to them, have you ever considered calling Amazon? And they said, why would I call Amazon? And I said, because Amazon needs boxes. And you could see the look on the executive's face like, yes, why didn't we call Amazon? So they had forgotten what the core competency is. Now, in contrast, another SME, Singaporean too, for the longest time, they, they, they metal printed hard disk drives for, for laptops. So Apple and West, uh, IBM whatnot. And as all of you know, laptops stopped using hard disk drives. So they lost a lot of business because it's a volume business, right? And when you ask them, how did you survive? They say, you know what we realized? We were not a hard disk drive producer. We were a metal pre- precision engineering, metal parts stamping company. And if you go to the airline industry, okay, sorry about airline industry, but when you build planes, you need metal parts. I say, well, look, it's the same technology. I can make you metal parts as you want. So what's the point here? Understand, understand what your core competency is and pivot according to your core competency, right? That, that is agile. Yes. It's nature, isn't it? Pivot around what the core competency is and do whatever it takes to be the best at that. Yeah, and it's really about your own frame of reference and thinking about your, even your own product and even what the value you, you, you've delivered. And oftentimes the solution to your problems is actually in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. What I'm going to do is I'm going to round up some of the the chat as well before we move on to um, talking about opportunities because some great stories there. Um, So many of the audience here today have pitched in with their comments and questions. Um, Overwhelmed, really, at this stage. I'll just run through some of the comments as well before we jump into the opportunity section and talk about some of the case studies of who really has turned the crisis into an opportunity for themselves. And it's not necessarily the most digital companies as well. You'll be surprised. Um, I'm going to read out some of the names and some of the comments as well. We'll just whiz through these. Apologies if I don't cover you. Um, Time is obviously 
of the essence today. Yvonne Ong says that's just so human. We're not forced to do it. People only change very incrementally. Exactly. Incremental versus exponential. Obviously, that's the plus in the DASH framework. The leadership part is the exponential. Organizations and individuals keep giving ourselves, okay, themselves the excuse that there is still time to slowly adapt. That answers the earlier question of why didn't we do it earlier? That's from Karen Go. Um, surely it's about readiness as well. No point changing if people don't see its need. I mean, this is really leadership, isn't it? Is you know storytelling the need for change. That's Claire Firat. Apologies if I pronounced that wrong. Um, there were alternatives. That's why we didn't change. But during CB circuit breaker, there are no other options. So we all learn to grow up. Excellent. That's Catherine Lee. That's face the music. Um, what else do we have here? So a lot of this is about like, looking at the human aspect of why people didn't change, saying that um, we don't want to change in many ways. We're just creatures of comfort and habit. Um, just pushing down through. Talking a little bit about transformation as well. You know, some questions coming in here. Maybe we can do those in the next section as well from Ziao Andy. I'll answer your question in a minute. Another one about comfort and procrastination that's come up as well. And this is really a leadership challenge, isn't it? Before we talk about opportunities, these are really behavioral challenges within organizations where people are naturally creatures of habit. And that is why we need leadership to shock maybe or coalesce or encourage people out of comfort out of habit how does that happen with an organization and then we'll look at some of the case studies as well harris what have you seen because you've seen i mean microsoft was a fantastic example isn't it they got very good at what they did and then they needed somebody to come in and change that where does that happen how does that work in an organization for some of the corporate leaders here today they're thinking how can i get my people to change I think, you know, there, there, are, there are many aspects of transformation and, and I think technology is the last aspect, you know, because technology is actually the enabler of the transformation. Uh, and, you know, most people put, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of people put the, the, the cart before the horse. And, and that's why sometimes technology-led transformations don't work. Uh, it's important to understand culture. It's important to understand people. It's important to understand capabilities. It's important to understand a little bit about the physics of the future in the market that you operate. Do you understand the trends? Do you understand what's going on, where that industry is headed? What are the forces that are impacting evolution in that particular industry? Uh, and, and that is no longer the role of the CIO. You know, because historically, anything technology, let the IT guy do it. It's no longer, right? Um, do we understand how are we actually capturing data within our organizations, managing that data, and ensuring that data is flowing in through the entire organization so that we can make more data-driven decisions? Mm -hmm. Many organizations, I think, don't even understand what their data strategy is. And, and when you think about the amount of data that's getting generated given digital, Every organization needs to have a very clear data strategy in order for them to transform. But I think some of the harder bits of, bits of transformation that I think made a very big difference in organizations like Microsoft is really the culture. You know, um, Steve Ballmer was is a great CEO, was a great CEO, um, and so was Bill, and so was so is Satya. You know, but when you think fundamentally, what Satya did was he repivoted Microsoft's culture, and there's a lot of reading that you can do online with regards to Microsoft's culture. Uh, and how they got into this learn it all versus being a know it all, you know, and how they started to build a culture that allows for risk taking, for innovation, uh, you know, in terms of not just from top down, but in terms of bottoms up as well, where 
employees are given a chance to, to voice out, to come together, to innovate. Um, all that's important. And you'll be surprised because sometimes the people within your organizations have the answers. But how do you build a culture that allows them, you know, to, to, to innovate and float that up so that they can get heard and that can spark, you know, amazing innovations going forward? That is a great point. The learning organization. That's really why we're here today, isn't it? You talk about the answers being out there as well. The Kodak being mentioned already today. Apparently, they invented the digital camera back in 1974. Yeah. You know, they had somebody in their organization that made that thing, but they said to the guy, you know, don't tell anybody about it because that puts yeah. our paper business out of business, right? right. It's Nokia was the other one, right? Well, yeah. It's what happened to Nokia? There you well, go. There you go. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about opportunities. We'll, we'll round up on opportunities. And then what I want to do, chaps, is open up to questions from the floor to you. So um, maybe we can keep this short and sweet. Let's talk about food because everybody's talking about digital transformation and digital native companies. And therefore, we think it's all about digital leadership. And yet, sometimes it's the most simple ideas and not necessarily digital companies that are able to transform and take advantage of the crisis and turn it into an opportunity. Tech a market here in Singapore is a great example. What is happening there? I mean, we're seeing these kind of very localized case studies emerging. Kevin, maybe you can give us some context here. What is happening? What, what has surprised you that you've seen case studies emerge from the unobvious candidates? Uh, yeah, I have two examples when it comes to food. Uh, but I'll, I'll start with the first one, then Harris, and then I'll, I'll, I'll round it off. The first one, it, it very early in the, the first lockdown when it was a soft, uh, I got a message on WhatsApp. WhatsApp's a great place to great, have ideas, right? Uh, or to see things happen. Someone sent me a message to say, uh, a very famous, if you go to Ballester Road, great place for food. Very famous uh, chicken rice store, so I'm not going to name it. Uh, you guys can guess who it is. Uh, very famous Bakute store and a very famous fried chicken store, uh, Korean, I think. And all these three companies uh, or restaurants are typically fighting for uh, their competitors down the same street. However, the moment the, the lockdown happened, the first thing these three competitors did was to collaborate. And we got a message on WhatsApp saying, if you order any combination of food from this tree over like $30 or $40, delivery is free. That's it. I, don't, I thought that was a great, great solution. And, and how did they communicate it? WhatsApp, that's it. Word of mouth. Old school word of mouth. No need, no need big technology. But first is, is the value proposition, understanding how can you make this lockdown a little bit better for people in the, in the most simplest way. Make sure they can get access to their favorite food if there's one thing about this lockdown i've learned is people it really hits home which is your favorite food and and uh whether it's expensive or not it's, it's your favorite food that you can live without love that example as well harris you got one as well from Tech yeah Market. but this is a great example of existential imperative right so you know all the tools for going online connecting delivering all of that was there even before the pandemic and Take a Market is a great example where you had uh, Block J, this 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 really you know for future-looking advertising company, together partnering with IMDA, a uh, government agency, and and the Take a Market themselves, uh, all the stallholders there, you know who who sell fresh meats and so on and so forth, and they they came together basically to take all of their businesses that was in one sort of like center and put it all online so people can order, people can get their favorite meats delivered. 
and the businesses don't suffer. You know, all and that that was a great example of how old school uh, 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 stall holders went completely new school with regards to how they ensure that their existence, their survival doesn't get threatened despite the current pandemic. Mm. Uh, and it was a great example of private-public partnership coming together to take old school businesses, you know, into the, the new world. And it's funny you talk about old school, right? Uh, I'm sure we all use this term, the kampong spirit. Uh, at the end of the day, kampong spirit, old school, it just means the same thing. It's collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Uh, uh, it's a neighborly kind of co- collaboration. And again, that example of the chicken rice and, and, and bakute and uh, current is down the same street. So they're, they're kind of neighbors. They're, they're competitors, but they're neighbors. Sorry, Kim, but the other thing is there's help available. That's the thing. You're not alone when you're trying to figure out how do you get onto this digital bandwagon or how do you turn around and operate in this so-called new world or new normal. There is help available. And if you seek the help, you can, as a business, actually make that move. Right. And, and to do that, it, it comes down to structure, right? Uh, what, what drives culture is structure, how you organize work. And so in this case, when we say structure, I think one, one important point is to think about how you organize work. Uh, and one of the interesting things that have come to my mind, uh, well, so many things, right, uh, about structure and work is that uh, we talked about an agile way to work. So be less hierarchical, have a lot of uh, small groups, scrums, whatnot. And it, it recalls, it reminds me of this story of a bank, a 150 years old bank based, not, not in Singapore, uh, based, based in Europe, that wanted to be more agile. And they went to Spotify to ask Spotify, how, do you, how, do, how can we be more like you uh, so that we can be innovative like you? The first, and Spotify smiled at the bank and said, how much control are you willing to give up? Mm. Right? If you're going to organize work to be more innovative, to be on uh uh, to, to be more innovative, how much control. And I can tell you from my experience, even as someone who teaches this and tries to live it, it is so difficult as a human to, to give up control, uh, especially when you think you know the answer, you have the experience. So there's this thing about, it's, it's almost like you have to adapt to yourself. You have to understand your own biases and, and undo those habits. Disrupt yourself. Yeah, but the idea, the idea is not to be like Spotify. That bank shouldn't be entering, say, I want to be like you. You know, the, I think the idea is to turn around and say, how did you get so successful? How did you scale? How do you have the right controls, the right privacy? How do you engage with your consumers across the world where you deliver a consistent experience, whether you're in Europe or whether you're in Singapore? How do you do that? Hmm. And I think that, and I think organizations need to look at that versus saying, I want to be like someone else because we are all unique. Whether you're an organization or you're an individual, we're all unique. But we need to ask ourselves, you know, mm. what do we do to your earlier point? You know, what are your core competencies? And what is the core competency of a bank? And then say, how do I enable that in this new world? Great. Well, I'm conscious of the time as well. I just want to, and there's a lot of questions here, gentlemen. So um, what I'm going to try and do is squeeze some of these questions in at the end. I'll group some of these questions together because I think there's some common themes that people are really keen to find out about from you. So I'd like your opinions on some of these. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just read out a, a bunch of questions and then uh, open it up and just some general thoughts on those. Um, there's one section that seems to come up about engagement, which is really, you know, I think now sort of taking this forward to Monday morning when, you know, we're back at the office or when we are back with our teams, whenever it is, and we have to engage people. Um, Joseph Ayo 
apologies if I've got the name wrong, says, how do we change our approach to staff engagement? What are your key takeaways from your own experience working in your own organization? There's another one here about remote working. Um, Noble Binoy is saying remote working is going to be a big part of the new normal, allows organizations, et cetera, et cetera, all these kind of new free, um, freedoms. Um, what are your recommendations for this, um, especially for people living in Singapore, you know, um, who, you know, how do you stay relevant in remote working as well? I suppose this is now, you know, how do you engage your people and how do the people feel connected? Um, how do you make that work? Because at the end of the day, it's all great talking about all these things, but at the end, the, the mechanics of it, working in a remote team, where do you start? What are the tips that you can share to keep that going and make it, per make people thrive, not survive in the crisis? It's really interesting. So, Firstly, think about work. Work is something you do, all right? It's not a place you go to. Just, just to reframe you know, how we think about work, work is something you do. So if you think about the work you do, why do you need to go to a specific space or spot to do that work? Now, in some instances, you will need to. I get that. But in many instances, you can actually work from where you are. Call it work from home, call it, call it work from McDonald's or whatever as an example. So I think the first thing is to accept that you can do your work from many different places, okay? Then I think you think about in a real physical environment, what do you do? You, you have um, connections with people, you build networks, you, 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 you engage with different people in, in different parts of the business within the country and also external. You can do the same thing, but you may need to turn around and defer your way of doing it to optimize your energy, to optimize your effectiveness. Because when you think about working online, the pressures that you will go through, how it wears you out is very different from the physical, right? Because in the physical world, you get to socialize, you get to do a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of mini distractions during the course of the day that kind of gives you a bit of a balance, gives you a bit of a distraction that is much needed because we're just human beings. How do you build that in to your daily schedule and not feel guilty doing that, okay? Mm. I mean, there are days where I finish my work at, at five, six in the evening, and I need to just close my eyes for 10 minutes before I jump into my night calls with the US. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we all need to adapt in terms of how we, we do things, but recognizing we can still have the same outcome. But it will mm. take a slightly different way of doing things and be comfortable with that notion yeah, and that point about work is something you do, not a place you go. That is something we can take away from today. Kevin, turning this back over to you, there's a, there's an add-on question here, which I'd, I'm conscious of the time I'd like you to share your thoughts on. Regarding remote work and the environment, somebody's asking, Andy Yip asks, how do we lead and influence in remote working environments? Because that must be the big challenge now, that you know a lot of the leadership that we're used to happens in the analog world. Can you lead? In this environment, how have you found that? What's your personal experience? Let me build a, a bridge to what uh, Harish just said. I, I had a big aha moment when I was listening to Harish. We need to start working from home. You know why? It's homework. Tell, name me one person in this in this uh, in this session that actually enjoys homework. Ask any child. So working from home is going to be a problem because it's homework. Okay, it's a bad joke. <laughs> My thirteen-year-old son agrees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then, and then maybe that, and I think that's part of the part of the problem. Uh, when we say homework, the term, the home and the work, the, there's there's no, there's no division, right? There's no segmentation. This is both a good thing and a bad thing. 
the great thing about working from home, you want to engage your your think you can you can be more fluid, you can be you can be more flexible, you can you can cater to the other needs and demands of your life. But at the same time, you can cater and address all the other needs. So it can get really crazy, get get really uh, complex. So so what do you need to do? When I think about leading uh, remotely, two things uh, or three things. Let me let me start with uh, the first thing. Uh, you must have a shared purpose. Uh, the work that you do uh, remotely must be shared. There must be a shared goal yeah, that together we're going to try to achieve this outcome. We're going to deliver something. Uh, we're going to relieve some pain. We're going to solve some problem. And, and that's important. So you have to have a shared target. Related to that, uh, second is uh, you must, your team must feel a sense of progress. All right. Every time you feel progress, you're, you're coming back. You come back every time you meet. We're, we're, we're taking one step closer to the goal. We're taking one step closer to the goal. We're taking one step to goal. Uh, and that's important. So I think the impetus is on the, uh, on the leader. Now, if you, if you, again, if I were to refer to things like Agile, uh, the, all these methodologies for tracking progress, uh, daily stand-ups and, and helping each other and working, uh, helping solve each other's problems, that, that one. So, so collectively. And last but not least, um, uh, one, one advice I have to all the C-suite out there, when you have your company town halls, do it on Zoom. Don't do it in person ever again. If there's one thing that uh, the, the senior leadership at Singapore Institute of Management realized recently when we did our very first town hall, we've got more people asking us questions from the crowd than ever before. Now, uh, it, it's again, okay, it's not about the technology. It's about realizing that you have to provide a platform by which or create a culture, a platform from which people can ask questions and feel safe asking those questions. Hmm. Yeah. And the thing, the thing I would add uh, on top of it is this, right? I think Yvonne brings up a good point. Trust is really important. And I think one, one aspect that all organizations must explore much deeper, we didn't get a chance to talk about it today very much, is culture. You know, hmm. Because even you work from home, you, know, you, you need to be more outcome focused. You need to have trust that your guys are doing the same thing. And you need to be able to turn around and ask yourself, how much are you willing to let go as a leader? That's going to be really important. The other thing that I think is important for people to explore and ask this question, especially when you're trying to convince um, senior leaders, what's the cost of not changing? I mean, often we spend time talking about the cost or the ROI of changing or spending. I think the, 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 the opposite works as well. What is the cost of not changing? But it doesn't, it doesn't just apply to organizations. My last point is it also uh, applies to individuals. Because as individuals, you own your own development and your own transformation, not the company, not your boss, not your manager. So what are you doing for yourself to upskill, reskill, to learn, unlearn, and relearn so that you continue to stay relevant in a world that's constantly changing at a pace much more rapid than what you and I can humanly possibly do. That's going to be key as well when you think about thriving in constant change. Excellent. Well, I'm very aware of the time, but we've hit the hour now. We're just coming up to the end. So what I would like to do is just Firstly, thank the um, our guest today. It's been fantastic. Obviously, the introduction to the Dash Plus framework, which we're going to cover in this series as well. And before everybody goes, th listen, this is what I want you to do because there's been so many questions. Um, you know, we didn't have enough time to answer everything, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to get your questions answered and also connect with the panelists today and also an opportunity to register for part two. 
because this webinar sold out pretty fast. I mean, you know, the, the seats went like hotcakes. So we want to make sure that you don't miss because you joined the first one. You do not want to miss part two. So just before I show you how you can register for part two and reserve a seat for that, what I would like to do is just flash up the slide with the details of our panelists today, our guests, and just to remind everybody, if we can get that slide back up here, that'd be great because this is what you can do. If we just, yeah, if we can have a look here, what you can do, the easiest way that you can get your questions answered, if you go to LinkedIn and just add either Dr. Kevin Yong or Harish Kubchandani, and I'm sure they'll be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn. So make a note of their names um, because you're also going to be familiar with them over this six-part series. Um, I'm sure you're going to interact with them. If you have questions which aren't, uh, weren't asked today, um, feel free to ask, especially if you want to learn more about the Dash Plus framework. Um, Dr. Kevin is the man for that. I'm sure he'll be happy to have a chat with you about that as well. So please do this. Um, make use of the time. Make a note of their names. Um, you know, Connect with them on LinkedIn. If you haven't done so already, please send a message just with your thoughts on this uh, live show as well, what you thought about it. You know, thank you very much. I see some of the comments coming through for thanks as well. Yeah, please. You know, I would love you to share those comments with Kevin and Harish as well. Um, just rounding up as well, before we talk about how you can get to reserve a seat for part two, Kevin, in the very short time that we have, Dash Plus, what are we going to learn in the five more episodes that we have on this series? Give us a heads up. Everything you ever need to know again. <laughs> so very quickly, design, uh, Dash Plus, D, design thinking for innovation, always study innovation from the, from the customer and user, not, not the technology. A, agility, agile think for transformation. Doesn't have to be digital, it can be cultural but it's about being able to adapt, about disrupting yourself. As always think about the system in which you, you work in. Your organization structures a system. Everyone's interconnected. There's a bigger ecosystem out there. We, we're always about collaboration, right? H, think about, choose your poison. High performance, hyper growth, or hyper connectivity. Remember, in this day and age, everything's connected. Plus, leadership matters, but always think about not only the classic, the old school kampong spirit values whole, but you must apply it in the modern day context and be ready to apply it to any kind of situation where it's good, bad, black swan or white swan, doesn't matter what swan, just apply yourself. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is coming up here on the Dash Plus series. So if you want to get yourself a seat, and obviously seats are limited, we have only a limited number of seats to give away, but here's the link. If you go into the chat box now, it's been posted in there. There is a link saying register for episode two here. You can go and register now, reserve your seat. That will guarantee you a place at the next um, episode. And Dr. Kevin is going to be back. We're going to deep dive into the Dash Plus framework as well. Um, Harris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for your insights. Really enjoyed those. Um, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on board. And I'm hoping to see you on a future episode as well at some point. So that's all to be discussed. Thanks, so, Graham. Pleasure yeah. being here. Let's get, Thanks, Graham. Let's get Harish back. So vote for Harish. So please, <laughs> if you don't see him in the next few episodes as well, please contact him and connect with him on LinkedIn. I'm sure he'd love to. And Dr. Kevin as well. Fantastic. Words of wisdom today. Really looking forward to diving into this framework as well. Thanks for sharing today. So thank you, everybody.
Thank you, Singapore Institute of Management, for setting this up. Looking forward to seeing and meeting you all again at part two coming up. Grab yourself a seat. If you've missed it as well, you can ping us as well. You've got the details of our panelists. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for your comments. Loved it. Really enjoyed today. We're signing out. See you at part two. You have been listening to The Future of Work with me, Graham Brown. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and a rating on your favorite episode. We'll be back with a brand new episode in two weeks. Music